You're listening to a podcast from the BMJ. Welcome to this Thorax podcast for Journal Club. Today I'm interviewing Dr. Robert West. Dr. West works in the Department of Epidemiology and Public Health at University College London. He's going to talk about an article he first authored in the New England Journal of Medicine titled Placebo-Controlled Trial of Cytosine for Smoking Cessation. Thank you, Dr. West, for taking the time to do this podcast. Could you start by telling us why this study is so important? We know already that there are treatments available to help people to stop smoking, nicotine gum, nicotine patches and so on, and varenicline, otherwise known as Champix in the UK, and Zyban, known as Bupropion uh, in the UK. The problem, however, for much of the world, I would say, if not the vast uh, bulk of it, is that uh, these uh, medications are unaffordable for the majority of smokers. What uh, actually happened many years ago was that I found myself in conferences with a Polish epidemiologist called Witold Zatonski, who kept going on about this product called Tavex, and he said it's effective and you know, we should be looking at it. And it's actually been licensed in Central and Eastern Europe for about 45 years as an aid to smoking cessation. And at the time we started the study, it cost practically nothing. So doing a little bit of math, it was clear that um, if this genuinely was effective, this would actually be an affordable treatment to help people stop smoking in literally any country in the world. So um, I uh, saw some data that Vitold uh, collected from his clinic where he'd been using it and was actually quite impressed, but it was uncontrolled. There was no comparison condition. So um, that was enough of an impetus for me to seek funding uh, to uh, do a, a full uh, pivotal randomized controlled trial of the sort of quality that would be accepted by uh, medicine regulators uh, these days because the, the studies that have been done previously on cytosine were many, many years ago and uh, wouldn't really pass muster. The, the issue has arisen about whether it might also be of benefit to the NHS because if you can get a treatment that is, let's say, as effective as nicotine replacement therapy or Champix, uh, but it's a tenth or less of the cost, then obviously the potential to save the NHS a lot of money is, is huge. So that was the rationale. And what is cytosine? How does it work? Hmm. Cytosine is a, um, a, a compound that looks quite like nicotine. Um, it comes from a number of plants, but mostly uh, you can get it from the laburnum plant. And it's one of the reasons why laburnum seeds are actually poisonous in the same way that, I guess, nicotine is poisonous, is that in the concentrations you would get it if you ate the seeds, uh, you'd feel very, very sick. Um, it's, so it's, it's, uh, it's like nicotine, but... Uh, in some ways different, and different enough that makes it a, a particularly interesting drug to help treat nicotine dependence. Um, it's effectively a partial agonist, which means that it gives some level of action on the nicotinic acetylcholine receptors, and in fact it targets particular kinds of nicotinic acetylcholine receptors that are particularly relevant for dependence. Um, and it also binds with very high affinity to those receptors, which means that if nicotine comes along, it can't get on them. So on the one hand, it's giving you some action on those receptors, enough to block the, um, uh, uh, the cravings and so on, but not enough to be addictive in and of itself. Um, but if you smoke a cigarette, because it's acting as an antagonist, you won't get the same level of satisfaction and reward that you would normally from a cigarette. So it has this dual action. 
And in fact, it's the drug that uh, Pfizer, when they were developing varenicline, used as their sort of model. Uh, and uh, of course, there's, there's you know, plenty of history of partial agonist use in this kind of area. For example, um, buprenorphine in opiate dependence is a partial agonist. What was your trial design? This was a very bog-standard uh, randomized controlled trial with two arms. A, a, it's a double-blind placebo-controlled trial, and uh, the patients take the medication for a period of uh, approximately four weeks, starting about a week before the quit date. And, um, but we follow the patients up for a year after the end of treatment because clearly there's going to be a substantial amount of relapse. And so in smoking, we know that uh, if you uh, look at uh, what happens over the course of that first year, you can model uh, very accurately what's going to happen over the course of the next 5, 10, 15 years. Um, the other thing I should say is that in smoking studies, you can't unfortunately take smokers' word for it when they say they're not smoking because very often they will say that they're not smoking uh, to please you. So we use biochemical verification of abstinence. We can't do it fully because we would have to follow them around for the, uh, for the whole year, but at key follow-up points, we do it using a, a carbon monoxide breath test. What were your main findings? We found that the uh, active drug uh, approximately trebled the success rate compared with the placebo, now, that sounds fantastic uh, and is uh, about as good a result as you'd get with any smoking cessation treatment. Um, however, we have to bear in mind that the placebo success rates in studies like this are generally very low. People find it exceptionally hard to stop smoking. Uh, so the placebo rate was in the region of 3% and the active rate was between 8 and 9%. That's complete abstinence following the end of treatment for one year biochemically verified. So, you know, even in the active group, um, still a, a majority of smokers will not succeed in that quit attempt. Now, that leads a lot of uh, clinicians to think, well, this isn't sufficiently effective to make it worthwhile. But, of course, there's many, many things we do uh, in medicine which have far lower efficacy rates than that, cost a lot more, um, uh, but we do them because we know that they um, apply to a large number of people are beneficial. And, in fact, if you do the... If you do the standard cost-effectiveness analyses as NICE would do, uh, this works out at um, one of the cheapest ways of saving lives that exists in, in clinical medicine. So although the success rate, absolute success rates are very low, the, the relative ones relative to placebo are actually very good. Um, and of course, one of the things about smoking cessation uh, that's important is that people can keep trying. Uh, you don't just get one shot at it. Um, our recommendation is to try at least once a year, and those um, probabilities accumulate so that um, if you uh, use a drug like this in each quit attempt, each time you do it, it's another roll of the dice. You don't, you don't tend to get a reduced effectiveness with subsequent attempts. So over a successive period of attempts using an effective medication such as this, then your probability of success is actually quite high. Were there any particular problems with either discontinuation of the study drug or with placebo? For example, do you think the frequency with which the tablets had to be taken may have been a, a problem? Or 
the compliance was generally pretty good. It's only four weeks of treatment, so uh, it's uh, it's not hugely demanding. This particular drug has a slight, has an unusual um, dosing schedule relative to uh, other smoking cessation drugs, where you actually front load it quite a bit. So it's got it starts off with a higher dose, and you gradually taper it. No one really knows why this dosing schedule was instigated back in the 1960s because the, we don't have the, um, the records. But thinking about the pharmacology of cytosine, it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier terribly well. So um, there might be um, merits in getting a, a good sort of loading dose at the beginning. But we didn't find um, uh, much by way of drug discontinuation except that what tends to happen in smoking studies is that if people do relapse, then they stop taking the drug, and that's perfectly reasonable. Um, so most of the discontinuation would be because people went back to smoking. And finally, do you think we're ready to use cytosine in the NHS, or do you think we need some more evidence for its use or further cost analysis? I think we are ready to use it in the NHS because uh, apart from our trial, which was done to a GCP standards. Um, there is actually a long history of using this drug, and there is another study, even larger, much larger actually, that was done in Germany many years ago, uh, which, although it wasn't to current standards, it showed a very strong effect. So I think there's no question that it's effective. Also, because we have data um, from now uh, about 7 million people from Central and Eastern Europe in the European Union, uh, on the safety database, because it's been around for so long, um, we, you know, we have every reason to believe that it's a safe drug. So it meets the safety and efficacy requirements, in my view, um, and it is incredibly cheap, so it would save huge amounts of money. Now, that's my personal opinion, and uh, the medicine regulators, I don't think, agree with that opinion. So um, we're going to need another trial. Um, so that's going to put a delay on things of two, maybe three years, which is a shame because during that time the NHS could save, well, its current drugs bill for smoking cessation is about 80 million. So it could probably save, I don't know, 30 or 40 million a year if it was to, if it was to uh, uh, go to cytosine. <laughs> it's a lot of money. So um, it's a shame, but, you know, that's the way it goes. And uh, you can see why the... Uh, the medicines regulators would want to be cautious, so that's fair enough, I guess. That's uh, absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much, Dr. West. Pleasure. For more information about this programme and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com. <laughs>